Have you ever heard mythical stories about Mike Tyson and wondered what he was really like? Well, luckily for you, there's a new documentary series from ABC News coming that will explore what propelled boxer Mike Tyson to fame and everything that's happened since. Premieres Tuesday, May 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern, available on Hulu next day. There were three black men who ruled the world during this time. It was Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, and it was Mike Tyson. And everybody wanted to be Mike. The only question was, which Mike do you want to be? <laughs> Mike Tyson's level of intimidation was unrivaled. Just ask Rosie Perez. Mike Tyson was called the baddest man on the planet because he was the baddest man on the planet. This is a documentary event that you will not want to miss. Boom. Welcome to Mike Tyson's world. The staggering documentary event premieres Tuesday night, May 25th on ABC and next day on Hulu. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh, and that over there is Amin El Hassan from SiriusXM, NBA Radio, and Cinephobe, the place where you watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and ascertain whether those movies are poorly rated, properly rated, or just get a poor shake. Listen to the Cinephobe wherever you <laughs> listen to podcasts. Right, Amin? You have a submission, submit it. <laughs> That's pretty good. As a Cinephobe listener, I thought you nailed it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And that voice you heard is Mo DeKeel, who is at Nerder She Wrote, the podcast at The Athletic, my old stomping grounds on Nerder She Wrote, also at BR, doing power rankings, writing amazing articles. But my favorite thing Mo DeKeel does is the one Mo thing on Twitter, <laughs> Mo DeKeel, underscore MBA, I believe, is your Twitter handle. I love that show, Mo. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. It does get nervous sometimes on Monday afternoon where I'm like, I don't know what my one thing is yet. And I start to panic. But for the most part, it's fun to put together and, and, and always uh, interesting to see everybody's reactions afterwards. Trying to find your special purpose. What's my special purpose? I mean, if this is my special purpose, I've, I've failed miserably at life. I think <laughs> I need to do something a little more. I know the feeling, though, because sometimes when I was doing the big number, I'd be like, this is kind of like a medium number. Not that big. This is small, but I'm going to make it big. Like, it's one of those. <laughs> You're like, this is a 0.75 Mo thing. Tom, what's, I won't say the worst big number you've done, but like the biggest stretch. Like, even you knew, like, look, we're just light on material this week. <laughs> you know, I, I blacked it out from memory. I mean, I, I don't remember it because it was so embarrassing putting that out. It was a very small number. Sometimes Jade and I, when we produced it together, you would have to wait until a break in the schedule. Because if you did a big number and then there was a bunch of games that night, yeah. it renders it obsolete. Yeah, you're dependent on that. That's a hard that's a hard situation there. Mo, what's the, the most trivial one more thing you did? That like, look, the content's gotta get made, man. That they can't all be winners. <laughs> no, I've done the uh don't got it this week, guys. Call back next week. <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, it's not there. But I'll I'll give you this though. There have been times where like I'll put one out going like hmm. That was just an okay one Mo thing. And it will blow up. And I'll just oh, be hilarious. like, wow, that's okay. I don't know how to rate this at all. That that used to happen to me on Hate Hard. <laughs> Hate Hard <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a killer. And it would get no traction. And then one you just throw out, it's like, all right, we got it done. It was kind of fun or whatever. And it gets retweeted forever. I'm like, what, what's the rhyme or reason? <laughs> People still come at me with the big number I did about Nick Young never passing to Kobe. <laughs> Nick Young and Kobe Bryant had shared the court for like 700 minutes with the Lakers. 
and not once did Nick Young assist Kobe Bryant. And that thing blew up. It was it was definitely the most uh, popular one I've ever done. Nick's a special guy. I knew him from USC. I was a manager at USC his freshman year. And the, the funny story is I was with the Clippers when we traded for him. So I send him a text message like, yo, Nick, congrats, man. Looking forward to, to working with you. And he responded like, yeah, I can't wait this and that. And I go like, you know, this isn't Mo Williams because Mo Williams was on our team. And, 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 oh, my God. And, and like, this is Mo from USC. And he's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> oh great. That one. I said, that's that's lovely. Mo, what, what was your last year at USC? I left before my senior year to coach junior college basketball, but it was Nick Young and, and Gabe Pruitt's last year. Okay, and Taj Gibson? No, I was gone before Taj. I was out with Henry Bibby. Henry Bibby's last season with the, with the team was my last season with USC, which I obviously can't remember the dates. I think it was 04, 05. Oh, gosh. Oh, so there, that, was their, that was their freshman. That's right. Because Nick came out in 2008. I want to say in that draft, it was him and DeMar DeRozan and Gabe Pruitt was a second round pick. Right. And then Taj Gibson was 09. SC's had a good run since I left. So maybe I was holding them back. You know, they had Nikolai Vucevic, you know, they've gotten, they, you know, maybe. I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the salary cap went up after you left. Well, you know, the funny thing, and, you know, it, it, it's not like we, there wasn't a salary cap when I was there. It's just we just probably sending it to the wrong folks. Should have been giving it to Master P the whole time. <laughs> probably. That's how you get it done. So for those who don't know, Mo DeKeel has been a video coordinator in the NBA for, what, eight years? Is that right, Mo? You were at the Clippers for like five or six years, and then you were also with the Spurs from like 09 to 2011. Is that right? Yeah, I had two stints with the Clippers. I was there for three years from 06 to 09. 09 to 2011, I was with the Spurs, and then the lockout hit, and I obviously thought I might never be coming back to basketball. Uh, then I got Then I got lucky and came back to the Clippers again, and, you know, then we got Chris Paul. So it was a much better second stint with the Clippers than the, the first stint when we just sucked. Oh, man, because you came in right after the team was good that first time. Like right after the Sam <laughs> yes. Cassell, Daniel Ewing. Yo. <laughs> you went Daniel Ewing, not Elton Brand? <laughs> yeah, you went with Daniel Ewing there. That is a deep cut. Because Daniel Ewing, I'll never forget game six or game seven. Daniel Ewing hadn't played a single minute in the series. And Mike Dunleavy is like, all right, let's put him in this play. And Roger Bell was like, if he's on me, <laughs> get me the ball. G out to inbound. Bell for the tie. And Roger should have hit that three. And that's why if you watch that highlight, he's running up. I fucking told you. <laughs> I fucking told you. Because we're like, what the fuck is he doing? Dan Ewing was a rookie, by the way. It wasn't even yeah. like, oh, this is a grizzled veteran. I could just play. It's a guy like, I've never done this shit before, man. <laughs> and he put him in that scenario. And I don't know whether it was because he knew Daniel because he played with Mike Jr. Or like, I don't know. I have no idea where this confidence came from. Well, I was an intern my first year, so I wasn't going to ask the question, but it was definitely something we were curious about all the time. I, he had an affinity for Duke guys. So, you know, he just randomly threw him in. And I I remember watching it as a fan going like, oh, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to end well. That run with the Clippers, you were there for like four years in that first stint. Did it feel like 10?
I mean, let me just tell you, when you know your end date is April 15th at the, you know, <laughs> at the start of each season, it actually makes it very easy for vacation planning. <laughs> you can start <laughs> figuring out what you're going to do and, and how you're going. But it was brutal. We had, God, uh, I think like a 15-game losing streak at one point during one of those years, Tom. And I just remember walking into the arena so many times going like, Probably going to lose tonight. Not going <laughs> to. Nothing else is going to happen. Probably, probably going to drop this one. I mean, how how excited are you to have a fellow video coordinator on the show? I've had Frank Vogel on the Haber show before, but this is the first time I think you have had a fellow video coordinator on the show. Borrego, James Borrego. Yeah, sorry, Mo. Who brought me to San Antonio? There you go. No, I love JB. JB's the best. <laughs> well, how many coaches are are, are video, former video coordinators? You got Eric Spolster, Frank Vogel. You talking about head coaches? Yes. I like doing this by division. So Luke Walton is a no. Vogel is a yes. Ty Lue is a no. Monty Williams is a no. Steve Kerr is a no. Shock, <laughs> shock. Steve Kerr was never in the video room. <laughs> Northwest, you have Terry Stotts is a no. Quinn Snyder is a no. Now, here's where it gets murky because I'm not sure. He might have, but I'm not sure. Dagonaut in Oklahoma City. He might have, but I'm not sure on that. For Florida, maybe. Mike Malone is another. I'm not sure. No, Mike Malone was, was player development. Mike Malone wasn't in the video room. Minnesota. Finch. Finch, I don't believe, was a video coordinator. Unless you count, like, working in England and having to do everything. <laughs> yeah, it's not a... We're over for the Northwest. In the Southwest, Pop is a no. Steven Silas is a yes. Taylor Jenkins, want to say yes? He wasn't in the video room. He was a... Uh, so that's a no. Front office intern, then G League assistant coach. Stan was a no. I think Carlisle was... But again, in like the weird 1980s, I'm the assistant coach and the video coordinator because we all now have a staff, right? So, so far we're at two for the entire Western Conference. But the East has a lot more though. So let's go to the Southeast. Spo is a yes. Nate McMillan is a no. James Brago's a yes. Scott Brooks is a no. And then Orlando Clifford is a no. So the Southeast division has as many as the whole Western Conference. In Atlantic, you have Tibbs, again, in the Carlisle way of like, did this guy do everything? Steve Nash is a definite no. Brad Stevens is a no. Nick Nurse is a no. Doc Rivers is a no. Central, you've got... Budenholzer? Yes. Dwayne Casey's a no. Billy Donovan is a no. Cleveland, J.B. Bickerstaff was a yes. Indiana, Nate Bjorken is a no. Unless, again, you count the G League, I do everything thing. So that's six. Six is good. We'll take six. <laughs> and right now is high time for the video coordinators, right? Like prepping for the playoffs. This is when you make your hay right here. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? If you're prepping now at this point, you're kind of behind. Like that's the the truth of it. Maybe it's a little different now with the break, with the play, and you have a little more time. But Tom, we had to have everything done by the end of the last game of the season. Like that was an automatic. And sometimes... You have no idea who you're playing till the end of the last game. Yeah, Spo likes to tell the story of the, I think it's 04. He's he's the video coordinator for Stan Van Gundy. And they didn't know who they were going to play. And there were like seven possibilities of where they were going to be on the last day. And so they didn't sleep for like a week because they were prepping for so many playoff matchups on the last day. And he's like, that is when, that is like, the moment when you're like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like, I'm not, I can't do this video coordinator thing. Literally, what needs to be done is, like Mo said, you're starting a couple days early. Uh, and then there's going to be like 
the people who are, you know, whatever our last game of the year is, you're not, don't worry about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're working on prep because you have, you can't even guess. You literally have to create a full, detailed playoff level scouting report booklet and accompanying video as if you're going to play every single one of these teams, right? And then, like, when you find out at the end of the last game of the last night, like, oh, yeah, you're going to play the Blazers. You All these other ones, guess what? They just get thrown in a closet somewhere. Oh, wait. Amin, I think we have a hard copy here. Oh! oh. Mo is presenting a scouting report booklet that did you did you just dust this off? Oh, I, I have them all over the house because I also was in charge of making sure everybody got it. Oh, this is from the most painful, one of the more painful playoff experiences of my life, San Antonio versus Memphis, when I was convinced that if we beat Memphis, we were going to win a championship and we were the one seed and yeah. got upset by... We lost the eight seed, yeah. Very disappointing way. <laughs> you see how it's professionally bound? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to go to a 24-hour Kinko's. You got to <laughs> yes. let them know ahead of time. I am from the San Antonio Spurs, the Phoenix Suns or whatever. We're getting ready to do our playoff thing. I need whatever you got like overnight to clear that schedule for us. And you're going to be making these things. So this is pre, I guess this is borderline synergy sports. Like this isn't, doesn't matter that you have video tracking or any, any of that. You have to have a hard copy of sets. Like give me, give me what goes into that booklet. Well, like I can just run through the tabs we have, you know, <laughs> so we got players cause this is, so this is the personnel breakdown, um, breaking down each player, their stats, their, their tendencies and everything they like. And this is where some of the synergy stuff would come into play. Cause we're going to put in the, you know, those three, you know, dribbles three times hard to the left. That's going to be a pull up type thing. And this is, as Amin was saying, going to come with a video, like, yeah. And, and this is during the time, Tom, where iPads weren't even really that big of a thing. As an organization, we had one for the whole team. Oh, wow. But this comes with like a DVD now, you know, and, and, and Amin knows because I know having to finalize a DVD is one of the things you always forget. Like it's a, the only way you can get it to work is by finalizing it. Then you have the Memphis plays. We have their playbook there. This is something our advanced scouts usually had put together, gave us the whole uh designs the diagrams everything then we had the plays that we liked that ran against them that we knew worked and and so on we had our what defensive coverages we wanted to go through we have a tab for memphis analytics which covers all the other salient details in, in the analytics department we got their splits for how they've done through the season and is this standard like is there one team that does video coordinate or do those booklets differently like radically different I like what Mo is describing is almost exactly what we did. Like it was the same shit. Um, and depending on what player you gave it to, you give them a different DVD sometimes. So like the bigs would get like the big package and the, the guards would get the guards package and then stuff like that. We had a sheet, like a, a one page cheat sheet of like who to foul and stuff like that. It was the worst free throw shooters, the worst three point shooters, the best free throw shooters, the best three point shooters, like all this stuff that like you could take a quick glance and know in a pinch. We had an end of game, end of game uh, plays section and end of game film. And that was literally every single game they played. This DVD was every game they played under the two minute mark. That was a two possession game or less. Every single play, like anything that wasn't like free throws or, or you know, it was anything with a side out of bounds or under out of bounds. We had all that shit. 
so that you can literally watch and binge through their entire season of clutch time plays. Because what you begin to realize is teams run the same, like the, each team will have like three or four things that they like. And that's what they run. They don't have the, like they're rarely coming up with new shit on the fly. Like Larry Brown, they said, used to do that shit. It would be like, they never talked about it all year long. And they're like, da 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 And it's like unguardable because no one, literally no one on the other team had ever seen it coming. But for mo- the most part, they have their pet plays that they like. You know, like Phil Jackson and then later Steve Kerr had what the fuck, right? They, they love that play. They run it so much. So this was kind of another specialized cheat sheet for just that, uh, that part of the game. We did that. I mean, the, the the two minute tape that you're talking about, we did throughout the entire season. Yeah, yeah, for everybody, right? So like, we would have it for every scout. At least we'd have the two minute tape. The next day, like the, that was my job. The next morning, what were all the games that came down the wire last night, and then start like logging it and making it. And then it got really annoying if that game went to overtime because you had to do all of overtime. Oh. <laughs> Either that or like when really this game was over. But the virtual fouling and bad free throw shooting, at the last minute, it gets to like five points. And I'm like, well, now I got to do a tape of these motherfuckers just fouling or whatever. Because the last thing you want, Tom, is the coach to come to you going like, this was never on the tape. Have they ever Uh, ran this before? And then it's one of those instances, well, what had happened was... (laughs) They were down seven when they ran it. <laughs> so do you guys feel for the video coordinators now? Because I wonder I wonder with this season, there have been almost no tape to to use because a lot of the injuries, a lot of the players have been out. Like if you wanted to do game tape on, let's say, uh the Lakers, okay. Andre Drummond, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis haven't really been on the floor much at all together. So you have to draw up like a, you have to bring film from very little film. So is that packet going to be especially light or do you have to compensate by throwing in a lot, a lot of filler in there? I think it's still going to be about the same because coaches never change. They want everything, you know, and they're going to go back. Golden State's going to play the the Lakers, you know, in, in the playing tournament. They're going to watch all three of their games. Only once did Anthony Davis play them, you know, in the beginning of the year. And that's when the Warriors came back on the Lakers and, and had a big win. After that, they got their butts kicked the rest of the way. And there was no AD. But there's always something I think you can pick up and learn in that instance. Um, the, uh, the 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 stuff that you can pull away from everything, what worked for us, what, what worked against them and things like that, you're just going to pull away. And if you're the Warriors, it's basically how do we get Curry open? They play the same way, right, the Warriors do, or at least they try. So it really doesn't matter. Oh, Ubre's like none of that shit matters. Like we're we're going to watch how this stuff, how they do this, how they run them, how they get them open, and we'll game plan it for that. And and if you're the Warriors, you game plan as if LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to play. Like you you have to. Like we'll have sections of what they do when those guys don't play, but the approach is always like they're coming full strength because the last thing you want to do is have a report, like Mo said, that's incomplete or inaccurate or uh, irrelevant to what the coaches are seeing. Yeah, you just got to stay on top of it, Tom. And, and just the one thing I kind of want to mention, and Amin will, I hope, agree with this. Playoff game planning is so different than the regular season just because this is when you get to lock in on a team. You know, and, and, and all the details that we do dive into, that's not normal for the regular season. That's not something you can do game to game when you're playing 
Charlotte one night, then Boston on the second night of a back-to-back. You don't have the time to walk through these things. And as a video coordinator, it would kill you. And I think there's just that whole thing. Like, this is why playoff basketball is so different than regular season basketball, because coaches have had time to watch the entire two-minute tape and see all the end-of-game stuff that might come up and things like that. There's so many things that it's just so different come playoff time mm-hmm. because of the preparation. Yeah. And what most talking about is basically you don't have time, right? During the regular season, we have our base defense. One size fits all. We will make it adapt to whoever we're playing. Yeah. You're going to be a little bit more pay attention. Like, Hey, we're playing against Curry. So everything is a little higher today than it would be. But for the most part, you're doing the same shit. And then when you get into the playoffs, you sit there and you're like, okay, our defensive schemes are all designed to stop them. This is not a one-size-fits-all. This is a custom-made defense that we're going to run and keep tweaking and adjusting. And then, you know, on the offensive end, like Mo said, we are going to lean more heavily on the shit that we know works against them because of their personnel or the way they like to defend things. We're going to try and pick at that scab. So it, it is a lot different from regular season. But the other thing is, in a regular season, you have – the advanced scout who's just watching games, you have the assistant coach who is who is assigned this particular team. Each assistant coach has anywhere between four and seven teams. That's their responsibility, and whatever video coordinator is helping the assistant coach on that. When we get to this, particularly this kind of week where they've got a week off or whatever, everybody is all hands on deck. We're all thinking. If you're the Portland Trailblazers, all we're thinking about is Denver and nothing else. The players, the coaches, the video coordinators, the advanced scouts, we're all on Denver watch. And that makes a huge difference, obviously, in your level of preparation and thoroughness. You as a staff will probably sit down and watch games together. And it's probably no different than Amin and Mays watching Cinephobe movies, right? Like a regular game, it's going to take five hours because you're going to stop. You're going to talk about plays. You're going to do the whole thing. The one thing I do say, the one caveat about this was great lunches. Because the coaches were hungry. We would have catered lunches during this time. Great food during this stretch. That varies from organization. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, then, uh, my experiences were a little bit different. Is there a uniqueness to Popovich and the way he wants his film or breakdowns? Well, it's interesting. Like, Pop, in the regular season, would kind of just come in right after the game or or even right before – you know, right when he walks into the office the next day and just kind of say, like, I want to see all the times we blitzed the pick and roll last night and this and, and, and just small details from that game. Pop all the way through was always would always watch the team, you know, the Spurs. His main focus was the Spurs and everybody else would, would cover the scouts and the coaches would present their scouting report to Pop. But playoff time is, again, one of those organizations that would be like, cool, the coaches are all going to sit in the film room. They're all going to be watching the game together. You know, we have we'd have one video guy in the room taking notes, you know, and, and, and sliding the notes underneath the door of which clips to pull and what categories to put in. And sometimes there are clips where he's like, I only want to show this to Timmy. I, you know, this is a clip I, we want to put in Manu's edit or small details like that where we just want to make sure those guys are aware of and, and going forward. So, Tom, earlier you asked, you know, is this pre-Synergy time? No, it was during the time of Synergy, but, like, the problem is coaches will ask for things that Synergy just doesn't like. For instance, I was asked, I, they wanted every single Manu Ginobili pin down where Tim Duncan was the screener and Amari and LB were on the floor. Right. 
Like, I can't go to Synergy with that one. I think now Second Spectrum probably allows you to get that kind of granular. But the reality is the reason why I have that information is because when we played them, I was sitting there logging, pinned down, and we knew who was on the, like, whenever they come out, I like, log who's on the floor and pin down TP or, you know, TPMG slash TD, uh, and then the result and da da da. And like, left side, right side. Like, you, look, the, the beauty of this video editing software or the video coordinator software, which we use Sport Code. Uh, do you, you guys are Exos or what were you guys? We were on? Exos till the, my very last season with Sports Code. And let me just tell you, I never learned Sports Code. It was a very rough last season. Sports Code, a million times better. Exos was garbage because it was made <laughs> for football. And they just tried to reverse mm. engineer it for basketball. But the problem was, like, San Antonio loved Exos. So, like, as Pop is spewing out all of these disciples... They were going to places like, no, no, we're running Exos. Why? Because we ran in San Antonio. But it's an inferior product. I know this because a good buddy of mine was the video coordinator in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> and Seattle was the first team. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Seattle was the first team to have sport code. Us and the Miami Heat, I think, were two and three. And then uh, Denver. And then over time, now everyone uses sport code. But, like, we knew it was better it was like this is the future it, you know and presti came in and allegedly was like fuck this all change it all like paid a million dollars to exos to like outfit their practice facility and all that stuff and to stay with the spurs to stay with the spurs and within two years they switched quintessential like you're just a zombie basically it was a really tough product to use in that it, there's no it means 100 percent right football program they just thought it could translate easily to basketball and, and it, it, it got really difficult. But the most important thing that it means talking about, because even within Exos is the labeling of everything, because that's the key to the video coordinator job. It's, it's not just breaking down the film and knowing the stuff. It's being able to, to categorize things the same way and having your entire video room doing it the same way. So that when it's saying, okay, we need those pin downs. Cool. I can just sort all these games by pin downs. And, and, and now I can, you know, fly through and pull out the good examples that we need for the coaches. You know, if you have to do that all over again or by scratch during the right as you're preparing for the playoffs, you're not going to get that done in time. It's just not possible because there's still other requests coming in. That's not your only request. You know, you're going to get 10, 15 requests from coaches that are like special edits come playoff time that you need to be on top of. It's only as good as how you are on the front end. It's like the more work you do on the front end, the way more fruitful it is down the line because it wasn't just for us. Because in sport code, it wasn't just that I could sort and ta- like by tag and find that information. I also could spit it out to a spreadsheet. And so when most talking about, hey, how, what were our most successful plays, I can like four pop was a play that we used to run all the time. I can run like four pop. When Amari and Steve are on the floor and, you know, these Spurs players. And it would tell me, okay, you ran four pop 47 times and you scored 1.4 points per possession on them and were fouled 20% of the time on this play. And that makes you look really good, really smart. Not really. Nobody cares. (laughs) If you're lazy during the regular season – Yes. And, and come playoff time, they're like, yo, we need this, this, and uh, don't. I, 
don't have that exact thing, but I can get you something else. Like you're in the doghouse. Yes and no, I think. It's not like you look smart. It's that they're going to ask. And when you don't have it available immediately, like, okay, hold on. It's going to take me a second. Then it's like, oh, that's the attitude. <laughs> yes, yes. But if I have it immediately, there's like, all right, thanks. It's not like, oh, my God, this guy's the best. <laughs> you don't really get that. I don't know if it means that this experience, there are coaches sometimes that just think, I'm going to hit four buttons and pull out whatever they just asked for. You know, and, and sometimes I, I look at them going like, you just gave me about four days of work and won it in 20 minutes. Like, I don't, I don't think you understand the details for the stuff you're asking for is impossible. Like even, even if I did all the most amazing work on the front end, you know, like some of the details they're asking for, it's just like, guys, it's not possible. So it's like, you have to sometimes sort of balance that. So when you're saying like, Oh, you're going to look smart. No, it's just, you did your job versus if you don't have it, you're a complete moron. It's not, you look smart. Speaking of smart, you did a Draymond Green, Steph Curry action on your one mo thing last week. (laughs) It's kind of like a dribble handoff. That they do, but like Steph goes toward, like sets a screen almost for Draymond and then Draymond curls around and hands it off to Steph and relocates. And the big who's guarding Draymond is just very slow to close out because they've already dropped back. It's like, hey, Draymond, go shoot. Is that something that um, that you, you, you expect to see a lot of in this series with the Lakers with the drop coverage that you might see with uh, Drummond guarding Draymond if Draymond's playing the five? I think we'll see some of that. And I think that's – this is kind of going back to the preparation. Like a good video coordinator would catch that and, and, and have that on the edit. Hey, this is an action Draymond and Steph like to run together. And, and be aware of it and, and, and making sure the coaches know, making sure the players know that's an edit that's going to go to the guards. It's going to go to the bigs. Be ready for this in this instance. I think we're going to see some of it. I just don't know if we're going to see as much drop coverage as everybody thinks, you know, even in the even coming off of Draymond a little bit. I think the key to beating the Warriors isn't so much stopping Steph because that's impossible, but stopping Draymond from being able to get the passes off to Steph. I think the mistake teams make is hanging off Draymond because they're not afraid of his shot and nor should they be. But I just think it makes it easy for him to make pinpoint passes. And if you look at the numbers, I think right around now, he averages three assists to Steph alone, you know, and that's a big, and those are almost always for threes. That's a problem. You want to, you want to try to eliminate that. So I'm going to, I would try to push up on Draymond. So I don't think we're going to see as many bigs hang back Drummond might a little bit but I'm not even sure if we're going to see that much of him in this series it's also wild like I say if you're a big and you can't shoot you can still space if you're a good passer or or even not even a good passer a good dribble handoff guy facilitator dribble handoff because the whole thing is if I'm going to play like they used to do this with Bogut oh Bogut ain't gonna do anything you drop back but all he does is he dribble hands off and he sets such a wide, big ass screen that the guard who's trying to chase over Pancakes. on step ain't gonna make it, right? And so now you, you the big, are like, oh, I'm just pulling off because this guy can't shoot. Now you're dead in the water because you're never gonna close out fast enough to get to Steph Curry or Clay Thompson or whoever. So there's sometimes like I feel like yes, would I rather a big be able to space the floor and so that way to be a threat for my better players to be able to do stuff? Sure, but. This idea that sometimes we simplify that, like, oh, we can't shoot, then he's terrible. The, oh, the big man position is dead. We don't need bigs anymore if they can't shoot threes. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I can use them in different ways to make them just as 
as what do you call it, as impactful. Yeah, because Bam Adebayo doesn't have a three-point shot, and yet no. he is deadly when he's you know facilitating out on a, yep. on a dribble handoff or just on a screen because he just has an, an incredible ability to pancake the defender, the the, the dribble the dribbler's defender, and then also uh, just create just the perfect amount of handoff or the perfect amount of space in the pocket of the shooter, whether it's Duncan Robinson or Goran, whoever it is, that's skill. When you run split cut action, my favorite thing with the Bogut Warriors, they run split cut for Clay and Steph. And there's just so much mental gymnastics, like, wait, which one do I stay with and which one do I guard or whatever. Option like J on the list of things they can do out of it is, okay, we successfully crowded this guy and we took away this guy. You know what happens? Bogut's wide open. So he literally just takes one dribble and dunks the ball. And and that, like, to me, that's the beauty of you can craft schemes that'll take advantage of, uh, you know, different scenarios, whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be because I have the best shooting big in the world or else none of this will work. But it does require players that are smart and know how to move in space without the ball. That's big. And, And to me, that's why when I was always scouting, like IQ is huge. We want high IQ players because you can then mix and match and do things and pull out things on the fly and say, hey, what if we try this? Whereas lower IQ players is like, well, wait a second. I have to have like the confines of this box where I feel safe and I know I can either do this or do that. The IQ level is is, is so important because it can take you so much further, you know, and, and, and hide the flaws that you may have because you make up for it. In that sense, we've seen so many guys that are super athletic that just don't have the IQ. And you're just like, that guy's not helpful down the stretch in games. Whereas having a guy that knows the game, sees the game, understands what they're looking at, can make a big impact, especially in a close game, especially in the playoffs. That's why veteran teams do better than young teams. Because young teams, first of all, it's their first time at the rodeo. They're just blown away by everything. Uh, But the other thing is, their institutional knowledge of stuff, their your, their ability, because a veteran player has probably played on a couple of different teams for a bunch of different coaches, has played a system like this, a system like that. So if you say, hey, we're going to do this. Yeah, I did that when I was in Cleveland. Hey, we're going to do that. Oh, yeah. No, we did that when I was in Milwaukee. As opposed to a young player, a rookie or someone who's you know early in their career, it's like everything is brand new to them. Wait, wait, wait we're going to not run pick and rolls all You're of right. a sudden? You know, like. This is all new for them. So, Amin, this spring, as you get back outdoors to explore there in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. you can take Bespoke Post on all your adventures with a new lineup of essential Box of Awesome collections for guys guaranteed to upgrade your life. So, I know which one I'm getting. What do you get? Is the Bourbon Collection, the Dram. It gives you not just bourbon supplies like a book where you can read about the bourbon or any sort of syrups you also get those amazing ice ball kits oh those really cool it looks like the death star and instead of having like a regular ice cube or even those big fancy ice cubes it's even fancier it's like a perfect sphere right and like you don't have to go out and like go shopping for any of this stuff it already gives the kit for you yeah i wouldn't even know where to get that stuff to be honest with you so that's pretty cool what else comes in the kit happiness you get the book you get the syrup you get the ice cubes but where are you gonna put that in in a glass you get the bourbon glass too whoa hold on they're giving me flatware too glassware i believe glassware stemware autowares if you are a camper or you're an outdoorsman 
but you don't want to go into a store and you don't even know what you're going to buy, go to Bespoke. It takes the best stuff every month, no matter what you're into. Box of Awesome has you covered from style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools and outdoor gear. I mean, you like taking your family out to go in a camping trip or something like that. Like you could probably use some of this stuff. Big camping guy, huge camping guy. But here's the thing, Tom. I don't know where to start when it comes to what I need to go camping. The camping spirit is in me. But I just aren't prepared enough. I go to some of these camping stores and I get so confused. There's so much stuff. What do I need? What do I don't need? I need someone to simplify it for me and preferably just to send it right to my house so I don't have to get up and go to the mall or go somewhere where people are all infected with COVID. I need it to be neat and quick and precise and right to my house so that way you can go straight to the great outdoors. You want to have fun while you're shopping? Well, do it online. Get started by taking the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. So even if you liked something last month, check it out again and there's going to be a brand new spanking lineup of box of awesomes, okay? So it's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only $45 but has over $70 worth of gear inside. So I mean, here's what I want you to do. Get your 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code HABERSHOW at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code HABERSHOW, H-A-B as in boy, E-R-S-H-O-W for 20% off your first box. How excited are you to go camping, become a real outdoorsman with a box of awesome with your 20% off your first monthly box with the promo code Habershow. Like, how excited are you right now, I I am head over heels, and I can't wait till the other boxes come in. The whiskey box, I see the ice balls, I see the simple syrup. The taco box, woo! I will eat the hell out of a taco box. Let me tell you right now, it's got one of those things. Mortar and pestle. That's a mortar and pestle. Yeah, there you go. You know exactly what I was talking about. All these delectable, delicious Sauces. The spoke. Y'all got my back. Yeah, when you look at the Warriors, um, they've weeded out. I mean, this is more so due to injury, but Kelly Oubre and James Wiseman, the big shift in the season since Wiseman went down, the Warriors have the best net rating in the NBA. They have the ninth best offense and the number one defense. And I think a lot of it is just what I mean. you were talking about is just veteran players who know how to play with Steph or know how to play in a system um, that Kerr runs. And also, like you've heard it before, playing with Steph and Curry is a different animal than playing with LeBron, and is, which is a different animal than playing with Jokic. And so when you have Bays, who has played with Steph for a year and a half early in his career coming into the league, then you have uh, Kevon Looney, who has played during championship runs with those two guys. Um, and you have Juan Toscano Anderson, who is, who his job out there is to be basically Andre Iguodala and facilitate and hustle and rebound and defend. I just think that this matchup here with the Lakers is going to be a lot closer. And Ethan Strauss wrote about this today at the athletic big plug for for our guy, Ethan, is that the, the spread went from seven and a half favoring the Lakers down to like four and a half in the last like 24 hours. And when you look at this matchup, I mean, the Warriors' offense since that that injury um, is 115.3. The defense is great. But the biggest thing for me is Stephen Curry has the highest usage rate in the NBA since that injury happened. 
And so now you're getting full unfiltered Stephen Curry. And if you're defending against that, Mo, I don't know what you do. Like, I don't know how you draw up like a defensive game plan against Stephen Curry. Do you focus on him or do you just focus on the other four guys on the court? I think you try to do a little bit of everything, but you have to be careful. Like, I think there's times where you're going to say, hey, we're going to blitz Steph. We're going to we're going to make it so that he can't get shots off. I think, you know, and see if the other guys can make shots. And then there's the other option, which is just like, hey, we're going to let Steph cook, but we're going to hold everybody else down. And I mean, those are the kind of the two routes you're going to try to go as a team. And maybe you want to throw it together in one game and then flip it the next game, see if you can get Steph sort of just trying to guess. It's hard because, you know, like Steph can win you a game by himself. I'm pretty convinced he can drop 70 if you just let him cook. But I think there is an issue. I'm not as confident in the Warriors' chances against the Lakers just because, man, the Lakers are big, and they're big in so many positions, you know, and I think there's a challenge in that sense of I I, I don't know if the Warriors can hang for seven-game series and Steph can keep that usage going while constantly being bombarded with Alex Caruso, uh, Schroeder, KCP, uh, Wesley Matthews, you know, Kyle Kuzma is going to get runs on him. LeBron's going to get switched on to him at times. AED, every time he comes into the paint, he's going to get touched up a little bit. I think there is an element there of like, I don't, wouldn't be shocked if he kind of wears down a little bit come playoff time. I mean, this is a plan, so I, I kind of just forgot that. I immediately went <laughs> Video to the coordinator, playoff series. Playoff to series. <laughs> but but in, in one game, Steph can go off. But I think in this instance, I think you just kind of trap him and see if the other guys can go. But I also think, like I said earlier, the key is Draymond. You can't let him get 10, 11, 12 assists in, a, in this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this Warriors roster and just being like, man, they're going to probably what, go like seven deep. Um, like Steve Kerr is just only going to trust like a couple guys off the bench to get this win. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think for them to win this game, one of the guys they really need to play a lot of is Juan Toscano-Anderson. He's just like a plus-minus machine. Whenever he goes on the floor, the good things happen for them. And then specifically with Anthony Davis, like nobody's going to guard him well. Well, Maybe maybe Draymond is, and he's done it in the past. But you need as much live bodies as you can, and Juan Toscano-Anderson – I think is big enough and smart enough to kind of at least make Anthony Davis work for his shit. I just think the rebounding is going to be the issue. At the end of the day, I just think the Lakers can just sort of overpower them with just their size. And I think even when the Lakers go small, they're still big. AD's your center. LeBron's your four. Like that's a big, you know, and even they got long length with Kyle Kuzma and those guys. So it's not, it's not even small. It's like a long lineup. It's, it's one of those instances. I just think they're going to be able to overpower the Warriors in this playing game come Wednesday. I watched a lot of clips of LeBron just in his four games back from the ankle injury. And I noticed that he's favoring landing on that left leg and he's a left leg leaper and a left leg lander normally. But more so now because of that right an- high ankle sprain on the right ankle, I've noticed that he's um, even on three point shots. He's just he's just not willing, or maybe he's thinking about it. I don't know. But to land with both feet and just have a, a full balanced sh- jump shot, a lot of times he's leaning, and it hasn't really corrupted his his shooting percentages. But I wonder if you are doing a tight closeout on LeBron James, you can affect him because he does not want to land on anyone's leg. And that then you're also thinking about just balance, shot shot balance, that he's favoring one side of his body. So 
He hasn't been dunking, getting, you know, there's that one highlight against the the Pacers where he was just like looking down at the rim in in, in transition, which is insane that he's doing that period, um, much less coming off of the high ankle sprain. But in terms of going into traffic, going into a half court defense, you're seeing not as much high vertical LeBron James going at the rim. He had two dunks in the four games, uh, which is about half the rate that he, you know, on a per minute basis, his dunk rates are about half as what it was pre-injury. So he's relying on that jumper a lot more. And I'm curious to see how much he's going to go into traffic and looking to draw fouls and knocking him off balance when he's really ultra thinking about that ankle. Because of the last play of the regular season, I don't even know if you call it the regular season playing <laughs> game. I'm very confused about that, right, Mo? Right. Is he landed on uh, the Pelicans – player's ankle on just a freak play just landed and his ankle pronated inside rather than outside, which is a classic high ankle sprain injury. And he went off the floor. Now the Lakers fans of my mentions have been going nuts because I went on uh, Michael Holly and Michael Smith show and they went nuts over me saying I'm expecting the Warriors to win on Wednesday night. And Lakers fans are saying that LeBron had played his minute allottage, so he got his minutes in, so he left straight to the locker room because he was done for the night, not because he hurt himself. And I'm like, mm, that that seems like rationalization to me, right? And then they said, well, Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel said that he's going to be fine, that it's it's a, it's a total non-injury, nothing, no concern whatsoever. I'm like. Were you born yesterday? Yeah. It's complete posturing by a coach. They'll never, ever give up an injury pregame. Actually, he's awful. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm really it's scared. It's broken, guys. <laughs> it's in the back. Like, we we have a stretcher. He's like, I mean, they're, they're never going to say those type of type of things. You know, it's always funny with the, the quotes uh, the coaches give and fans kind of holding on to that. But slightly concerned. I, I don't – I feel like if it was bad, we would have heard by now. A little bit more more whispers. I don't know. Uh, maybe it was LeBron James after the finals saying, I broke my hand, guys. Maybe it is, but I'm confident that I think he's going to be there, you know, and, and ready to roll. But the, to what you were saying before he twisted this this, this new ankle, I think the, the thing I'm interested about is I think over time he'll get more confident with landing, assuming they have the time. Um, I think he'll – it's it's a thing where – He's thinking about the injury right now. The more reps on the court, the more times through the lane, the more times with the jumper and things like that. And 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 at some point, subconsciously, he's going to land the way he used to because it's muscle memory. I think it's going it, to it get comfortable. But I think it's a, a reps thing, Tom. And where he, as he gets going and it's sort of like a ramp up, I think he'll get more confident in that. And I'm, I'm fairly confident we'll see a uh, normal LeBron. We welcome in the mayor of Heat Island, Amin Elhassan, who is oh. supposedly oh. joining us from South Beach, but I don't know, is it standard uh, okay, definition who's there? Back there in the back? I, I, I just I, know the mayor of Heat Island since he was elected no in 2016. Amin, a tweet from Ryan Cortez saying that you are no longer the mayor of Heat Island? What is going on here? And, and was there a coup? Have you been impeached? I think I got impeached, yeah. <laughs> what happened here, Amin? I, I don't even know what's up and what's down anymore. I was asked about the Miami Heat's chances, and I said, look, on Levitar show. And I said, this isn't last year. Nuanced opinion, yep. First of all, the path last year was easy. I thought the 4-5 Indiana was a bad team, an injured team, a batter team, so that was favorable. The one seed Milwaukee, I thought the way they played fit into the way Miami's game plan was, so that they were able there. And then I thought, you know, Boston 
was going to be a hard fought series and 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 you get to the finals and the finals of the finals this year in order for them to get back to the finals they're going to have to beat the three best teams in their conference Milwaukee's better than last year they're much improved right uh Drew Holiday has allowed them to do things that they couldn't do in the past and I think they're also deeper you know Bobby Portis and PJ Tucker and all these guys have made them a deeper team if you beat them you're probably going to get the Nets in the second round. Enough said there. If you beat them, you're going to have to play the number one team in the conference in Philadelphia. Now, each individual matchup may not be like, oh, that's not so bad, but there's a cumulative effect that you are going through. Like, you're, it's not a walk in the park. You don't get to have that, like, mental break of, oh, this was an easy series to get through, right? Uh, you think about even Boston last year, that Boston – they dispatched Philly pretty easily, but that Toronto series was was kind of hard on them. Seven games. <laughs> Meanwhile, Miami basically waltzed through the first two rounds. So how much of Boston's loss to Miami in the conference finals last year was because, man, I had a tougher path, and I'm not at 100% the way that Miami is. I'm, I'm, Miami's closer to 100% than we are. This doesn't seem like an impeachable crime that you, you're, you're talking about. I feel like we're getting there, though, Tom. I feel like. I am. <laughs> I cast doubt on Miami's chances. In the playoffs, I said, like, I, you know, even if they get to Milwaukee, in, which I think will happen in seven, I don't know if they if they beat the Nets, as opposed to if they had to face them after facing Atlanta in the first round. I would have been like, fuck yeah. But, like, it, it's it's hard. It's tough. I don't think – I don't think Miami's going to be in the finals. Let me just put it that way. Uh, I just think it's a tough path, but the, the citizens of the island didn't want to hear that, so – well, I will. I will make the citizens of the island even more upset. I don't think they're beating Milwaukee. I think that's it's going to be a tough series, but I just don't think they're going to beat Milwaukee. There's a couple of things that play here, and and part of this is from personal experience. I was with the Clippers when we beat Memphis in seven games. Right, we had an amazing game one comeback. Uh, Nick Young blew up and and in, in, in that game and things like that. We went to war with them for seven games. All next season, Marc Gasol, every time he saw our advanced scout at the game, would literally just tell him, I'm coming for you guys. I'm coming for you guys constantly the whole way through. And lo and behold, we get Memphis in the first round the next season. I mean, in the playoffs. And it's just like, I mean, we go up to, well, we would have won the series had Blake not twisted his ankle, I, I firmly believe. But you could feel it from Memphis of like, we're not losing to these guys. There was a revenge factor in their in their mind and in their hearts that they wanted to get us get us back. And I think that's the same thing with Milwaukee. And I think the other thing too is Drew Holiday is such a big upgrade over Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. On both ends of the court to me. It's Bled killed them last year. It's a no brainer. And I think the the big question for the Bucks is going to be, will will Bud change up in, during the playoffs? And I think we saw some of that in the regular season. For me, my biggest critique for the Bucks the past two seasons was they never changed. They never changed in the regular season. It was all one way. They could have done the same thing this year, probably won the East in dominant fas- fashion, but not know what other routes they can go or how they could change things up. And I think this is going to be different at least in this series here. I think they got the motivation from losing last season. I think they got better as on the roster, just adding Drew Holiday, who's beginning to find his flow in the second half of the season. I've, I've knowing I was going to be on a show with Tom, I did pull up some numbers, you know, 
After the All-Star break, Drew Holiday's averaging 19.6 points, up from the 15.3 before the All-Star break, shooting 41% from three. He's just getting more comfortable in the offense. I, you could see him defensively, and he could switch through multiple positions and guard up You know, in, in that position. I just think as good as Miami is, and I like Miami, I just don't think they're going to be able to handle the Bucks this time around. Guys, we have... Somewhat breaking news. I don't call it breaking news. <laughs> I hate when this shit happens. People get excited. The NBA Coaches Association have announced their vote for Coach of the Year. Ah, yes. Last year it was split between Mike Budenholzer and, and Billy Donovan, or like, yeah, something <laughs> that was like, no, that's not going to happen. It is Monty Williams over the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau, and the rest of the Coach of the Year field. Okay, what's the split? Do we have a vote split? Total seven head coaches received votes. In addition to Williams, the following also garnered votes: Scott Brooks. Michael Malone, Nate McMillan, Doc Rivers, Quinn Snyder, and Tom Thibodeau. Hating ass coaches, I tell you what. (laughs) They always do this. They always do this. Like what Steve Nash has been able to do with an injured roster all year long. Like, oh, but he's got the. Like they always do that shit. Coaches are the biggest haters ever. Like they're like, oh, we have to protect the brotherhood. I don't know. The worst one was when Pat Riley didn't get exec of the year after they got the big three. Yeah. That was the most bitter of any peer group I have ever seen is when they get they get LeBron James and Chris Bosh and they get Udonis Haslam and Mike Miller both to take pay cuts to make it all work. And he is not the executive of the year. And to a means point too, Steve Nash should be getting consideration as coach of the year. I don't know if he'll win it, but he should get some consideration for just a pure fact of Every time they've only had those guys, the big three for eight games, eight games, eight games. And every time they got one back, the other one would fall. It was just a matter of time. Steve Nash's fault. It's Steve Nash's fault that they weren't. Available. Is it because they maybe went vegan on the plane or something? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> oh, man, let me tell you some stories about when they changed the spread. Oh, boy. Obviously, with Steve was here in Phoenix. They used to love this restaurant. The menu at this restaurant has gotten a lot better over the years. But when it started, it wasn't vegan, but it was definitely like everything is super healthy. We had it like one time and everyone was like, oh, it's pretty good. And they struck a deal with that restaurant for them to do our catering for the rest of the year. And it was just like, Jesus Christ. If I have to have another cauliflower crust pizza, like (laughs) I'm going to kill somebody. Because when you work for a team, man, like those – meal those spreads after a game that's not just for now man i'm taking the go boxes yeah this is what i'm eating for the next like two three days so like there's nothing more like heartbreaking when you like this awful ass food that i have to eat for two or three more days because i'm too cheap to go out and get my own food yeah no it's it's, it's management it's financial management that's all it is i mean i mean it's it's as a video guy, it's not like we were breaking the bank. At least I was, and I worked for one of the cheapest owners ever. Same. The spread is always kind of important, and it's something. It's just a perk. Hey, let me get a free meal. I'm going to be in the video room all night. The rumor was in Miami was Ira Winderman, uh, South Florida Sun Sentinel, built a pool in his backyard on just per diem, saving money on per diem in covering the, the the Miami Heat for 20 years and just going to the hotel for the continental breakfast and just stealing all the, not stealing, but taking all the stuff from the continental breakfast and eating on that for the entire road trip. 
and pocketing the per diem money and not going out to dinner that he put a pool. He saved enough money to put a pool in his backyard at South Florida. And for, for that, Ira Winderman is a legend among beat reporters. I'm sure me and I can share per diem management stories. My, my goal every road trip was to find which coaches were, were going to dinner. They would never let me pay. <laughs> this is part of the, the, like the pantomime. This is what you do. You, you get work done and you hand it in right suspiciously around mealtime. Like, got knock on coaches or coach, I got that tape you were asking for. Like, hey, man, have you in yet? Well, I mean, well, no, let me see. I got that thing. I got, what? Yeah, I guess I could fit in a meal. And then you, you have to do this. You can't be like, let's eat or when are we eating? You have to always play this like eating. I, I mean, I guess. And then you go eat and you put the per diem in your pocket. Oh, is it lunch? Is it lunchtime right now? The best was was Bud when I was in San Antonio because we just knew whenever Bud was staying a certain amount after practice, we're like, oh, we're getting lunch. There was excitement in the video room. It was just a matter of like, we're just waiting. He's, the longer Bud stays, we know we're going to get lunch. Like that's going to happen. And it, for us, <laughs> we, call, we literally call it the gravy train. And so – the gravy train really was when you go when you go upstairs to Steve Kerr, David Griffin, and you give them something. <laughs> right at like twelve eleven fifty nine, you just come up like, Hey, I got that uh Joakim Noah tape you wanted <laughs> like and then like, yeah, uh have you got a long show? I'm like, No, but okay. And then you start texting the motherfuckers downstairs. <laughs> gravy train. The way the Suns Arena was, fourth floor's front office, and then like level zero event level was where the locker room and the video room was. And, but like in order to leave the building, we all came out to that plaza right there where there's these escalators. So choo, 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 choo. <laughs> I would text a guy in the video room like, yo, uh, Mo, do you know Elvis? Yes. <laughs> all right, so I text out Elvis, the gravy train's leaving. I was like, fuck. I just, coach just gave me some, some like last second, like edits they wanted. And like, I'm going to try and stall them as much as I can. <laughs> I start a conversation about like, you guys noticed that, da, 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 da. like, and then finally they start drifting towards it. They're like, shit, Elvis, we're moving towards those escalators, man. Like, I'm almost there. Sometimes he wouldn't catch up until we were literally outside. We're walking like, where are we going? Ah, I guess we'll go to like Marley's or whatever and as we're walking I'll turn around and I see Elvis in the distance <laughs> Amin is pulling a Jason kid and spilling like a soda oh, out. Yeah, oh, exactly. the Gatorade just spell hold on coaches hey Steve Griff can you just hold on one second oh, here oh, it's, a, it's starting to flash don't walk now <laughs> hey, safety first guys the all-star coach at least for me and my experiences in terms of taking care of the, the staff was always Alvin. Oh. Alvin Gentry. Yeah. Every road trip, he would just look at me going like, this night, meet me in the lobby at seven. Yeah. We're going to dinner. And I've had some of the best dinners because of Alvin. You know, just just making sure he's like, you're getting dinner at least once on the road from me. And and that was always the best. Alvin, former video coordinator. I mean, how did Al- Alvin sound when he's telling all the video guys no. to- Okay, hey, I'll tell you right now. We're going to go get some dinner. All right, hey. Hey, I shit, I know I was in the video room too. Oh, I, we didn't have DVDs. We were, we were tape to tape back then. You don't even know what tape to tape is. <laughs> Straight up, like Alvin's video coordinator stories are the best because it's like you had to record everything live and, and like it was just everything was funny. And it's all like cassettes and EP and stuff like that. And then you do a reel to reel or deck to deck as far as trying to do edits and stuff. And if you fucked up, that was it. You had to start all over again. 
it's 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 great to hear like video coordinator video coordinator stories from a bygone era. But no, Alvin is the MVP of, of fucking picking up a tap for a good meal, a good dinner, a good lunch. Vinny Del Negro, not far behind. Yeah, Vinny's great too. Steve is definitely like, because Steve and Griff would both be like, call the guys, let them know. But at the same time, and by the way, I remember Griff. Griff was the one that taught me, like, the, like as I kind of rose, then he was like, you need to take them out and you need to get them out. I wasn't making shit, but like the whole thing was like, you're making more than them. And so you have to like get into that mind state of like taking care of them. Like I, I learned that from them. I never did that shit in my life before. And you still won't pay for a drink now. But I, but the opposite. <laughs> I fucking buy all you assholes drinks. Uh, but I'll let you know about it. That's the difference. Uh, are you enjoying that drink that I bought you? The thing that Steve liked, he liked this place. I never. It's called Duck and Decanter, and it was a sandwich place. It was supposed to be like a nice stand, sandwich place. But again, it was just one of those like, just give me something greasy and it tastes good. <laughs> yeah, Reuben, yeah. You never, you can't live, look at give horse down the mouth. No, like you can't no. say, all right, let's go to Duck in the County. You can be like, ah, you want to switch it up? You go like, oh, okay. I'm like, fuck, man. The other thing, Tom, and I know we've gone on quite the tangent here. Oh, no, this is the best part of the show. Give me all the stories. <laughs> the, the, the Spurs assistant coaches, in particular when I was there, Chip England and Chad Forcier would give us huge gift cards for christmas for food oh yeah and san antonio's lenny's <laughs> i mean it's over there like really you're like uh, oliver twist over here like come on i needed the food i like food but don't give me no food gift card man shout out to my guy sean marks he gave me a best buy gift card that's that's something that's happening <laughs> no listen I, I made use of all of those gift cards every chance i could i even might have one somewhere around the house i'm not gonna probably go to san antonio anytime soon but you know they they kind of took care of us in that sense it's just this the staff in general does do a good job of taking care of the video room in terms of at least making sure they're they're covered because everybody knows we're not going anywhere like especially now during the playoff time those poor guys probably haven't seen sunlight all right can you guys give me one player that loved the video work and one player who hated it. So one player where you knew that I was going to give this DVD and it was going to get watched front to back and every page was going to be turned and read and deciphered or one player who was like straight to the trash every time. I can give you one who absolutely loved it. And that was Chris Paul. And I mean, that's not really a surprise there, but like when Chris joined us with the Clippers, it was like, yo, we have to get Chris his own synergy account, like that kind of level of, of how much he wanted. And I don't want to name names, but there are definitely guys who have asked for edits from me who I've put on iPads and put it on their chair in the locker room. And a week later, that has not moved. Like I've, I've, I, I know for a fact. And that's kind of the more frustrating thing where I kind of just want to be like, oh, fuck off. That's why the DVDs have an advantage because you, you put it, upload it on someone, you never know. But when I see that DVD has not moved at all. <laughs> <laughs> like sitting in your chair. You sat on that shit, man. <laughs> you put it at a specific angle so that you know like it's – Well, I wrote it so that the, the name like, you know, Spurs, da-da-da, like is on the top. So if, it's, if it hasn't like twisted or nothing, yeah. Similarly, I'm not going to name names of people who don't, <laughs> but Roger Bell. Brother, Roger Bell would make custom like requests. When he was having like a, ba- a slump, 
He says, show me all my makes. It's amazing, man. Like I never thought, like I sat down with Kyle Korver one time and I was like, so you've been consistently a great shooter year over year. And he's like, no, no, I haven't. I, I, there was this one slump I had and he remembers it that he, he thought he could never make another shot. Kyle Korver, one of the greatest shooters of all time. There was a period in which he thought he would never make a shot ever again. It's mind boggling to me. It's one of the, one of the things that I don't think people understand from sitting at home and then like actually knowing these, these players and talking to them is how many of them suffer from a lack of confidence. I was it lack of confidence, but they get into funks. They get into bad head spaces from time to time, and they got to pull themselves out. So Roger would do that a lot. Roger also read the reports, all the reports. He'd drink his coffee because he drank like six Red Bulls and five coffees before every game. He was super wired before every game. He'd stand there and he'd read every single one. And Roger would be the one, if shit happened in a game that like wasn't on the report, he would like, cuss you out like right there in the right. middle of the game <laughs> so we're playing the knicks we're beating their ass and wilson chandler hit two 18 footers and if you remember wilson chandler his rookie year that mother he was a power forward at DePaul. he couldn't hit shit wilson chandler hit two shots fucking roger bell turns around he's like that wasn't the fucking last time you guys updated this shit like roger's the first two shots the perimeter shots he's hit like all season long <laughs> right like, we're not wrong with this the, then there was one where it wasn't a like I might have been was it Haslam himself? It might have been Haslam. Whereas like Haslam was just killing us. And it was just like, when is the last time you guys updated this shit? And like it's motherfucker, like it's we think it's safe to say that the Haslam can't shoot hit that 15 footer is over. That era is over. Yeah, it, that part sucks. When the guy makes the improvement, but you haven't been able to see it yet, or you're not sure it's real. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do I know? Do I start saying, oh, now he's he's this? And then are we changing our our whole defensive strategy because he's had a little bit of a hot streak hitting wide open jumpers, by the way? It's not even like these are contested shots or whatever. So, uh, like, it, but you, you, I mean, that's part of the job, right? You're always going to be wrong. <laughs> this season, more than any, I feel like that's the biggest question is in these small sample size theaters, how do we know what's real and what's not when you only have a tiny pool of information to go off of? How many video coordinators got cussed out about Julius Randle's scouting report? Oh, my God. Right? That's brutal. But, I mean, it's, it's also that was part of what was the, so hard about the bubble, right? Like going into this season – how much of the stuff in the bubble was real or a product of the bubble? What was Tyler Hero is a great example of that. Is this who Tyler Hero is going to be? And, and you know, he struggled to start the year, but maybe did we spend too much time on the report now? Like there's a whole element of those things, Tom, that, that, that kind of just plays into it in that, like, we got to figure this stuff out. And by the time we make the change, it's probably after we've lost a game because of it or got, or at least got our asses kicked for a game. Do you guys go you know, back in my day when I was a video coordinator, we didn't have second spectrum. We were walking two miles uphill in the <laughs> snow with, with tires across our backs and pulling it up. Like when you guys meet video coordinators now, is that, is that generally the- every video coordinator? It's a rite of passage to let the motherfuckers doing it now, how easy they got it. So Alvin gave us shit about like fucking oh I had deck to deck da 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 and then I remember giving Elvis shit because we didn't have DVRs you just had to be there already hit record on all these DVD recorders this wall here now you guys have both DVRs 
And then Elvis gave shit to the next video coordinator like, oh, you guys just download the game after it's done? NBA media site. I know what you're talking about. Oh, oh, that's nice. Like, we have to go there and sit and program a bunch of DVRs and shit. And so that's just the way it is. That's always the way it is. Now, Now I'm pretty sure, like, second spectrum, like, fuck, man, your job is done. How much shit do you do? You log your own game and that's it. Tom, I'll give you a great example. When NBA coaches watch games, they don't like sit down and like, all right, you know, or like like the night after, right? Like, hey, I need that Warriors um, Memphis game. They don't like pop it in and hit play, and they're watching a curated version of this, which is a we cut out all the commercials, we cut out all the 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 free throw like shenanigans in the middle, like we'll show the miss or the make. Because I remember we took out the free throws. It was like, how do I know how? Like, just look at the fucking score. So like, It's not no. that hard. So now <laughs> I put in, like, the actual free throw shot it made and missed or whatever, right? But beyond that, we're giving them all the offensive possessions in a row first and then all the defensive possessions in a row next. So it's called offense-defense. And that way when they're watching – they're just watching the part of the floor that they, they're focused on for that moment right there. It's the jeopardy. You want to stick with the category and just continue filling out that category before you go to the next one. Right, yes. The harder thing is figuring out which assistant coach wants to watch it that way, which one wants to watch it with the flow of the game, which one – like there's a whole give it to me this way or this or like – and then you're going to get a complaint the next day going like, yo, I – it was offense defense i didn't get the full uh, how could i know the flow of the game and it's just like dude like i had nine computers i had to load this game on like it, it, you wanted it that second i didn't have a chance to double check it like what do you, sometimes it's hard in that that tit for tag kind of situation with the coaches and knowing all their preferences do you think the eric spolsters and james borregos and mike budenholzers of the world are harder or easier on the video coordinator? Absolutely harder. Are you kidding? Have you been a video coordinator? Because then anything you request, if you say, coach, it's a lot. Like, a lot? Let me tell you what a lot is. And then they'll tell you a fucking story from 100 years ago. As long as they do it over lunch, I'm okay. (laughs) You know, I'll say this about Bud, because Bud was extremely hard. But at the same time, he was understanding of our time frame. So every now and then, Somebody would come in with a crazy project mid-season and want us to do this thing and drop. Everybody needs to drop their stuff. We need to get this this edit done on um, some player from the 80s so we can show Tim. And I'm like, we're going to show Tim Duncan, the greatest power forward of all time. Okay, okay. But like Bud would come in and go like, you're not doing that. You don't have time for that. And he would even say to the – I would hear him going like, no, no, no. I'm trying to take some stuff off of their plates because they have enough. You know, and, and so there's there's sometimes is that understanding, but overall, they're not easy. It's 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 one of those things. They're they know exactly what they need, they know it takes time, but they know how much time. So you couldn't even try to like BS it a little bit. It, it, they're on top of you. So it's it's not the easiest thing. The worst thing you can do is do a job for someone who's done the job before. Cause like he said, you can't bullshit them. They know. They know everything other than what your other time com- commitments are. And, like that, and, that, and that was the thing, because there's some teams, their video room is an army. Even back then, it was like, I remember Houston was that team for us. It was like, wait a second. You have video coordinators who their whole job, they had a video coordinator, his whole job was just cutting up their offense. 
in game. They had specialists. They had video quarter specialists. Then they had another guy. His whole thing was cutting up the other team's offense in game. Then they had a guy. His whole thing was recording just the games, just recording the games. All I got to do is make sure the games recorded. Then they had a guy who worked just with the advanced scout. Like the band scout said, da 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 for the thing. Then they had a guy who just worked with the scouts upstairs, personnel scouts, doing college and pro stuff like that. So they had like six dudes. And I remember they were like, yo, how many guys? It was like two. It's like me and Noel. Right. Like, <laughs> right. That's it. Like we got to do all that shit. So in some instances, I feel like you can get away with it because you've got enough kind of other help there but like if, if you're a team that has like a small budget or whatever nah man like you're you're an avalanche you're 17 18 hour days to be a little bit fair to the current video guys and i'm sure i mean will hate this part there's aspects of the job that with knowing it's gotten a little bit easier you can download games this or that i'm sure the requests have gotten wilder you know and like you can you do this now can you do that what's what's you know let's let's add this stuff in there now you have guys behind the bench breaking down games, you know, and, and with the coach's replay, the, the challenging situation that becomes, all right, well, let me show you the computer. Do you think we should challenge this? It's, it's kind of a, the, as the technology makes it easier, it also adds, I'm sure people willing to add more work on top of that. Right. So like things that we could only pull off of our games, because obviously we were logging very detailed. Second spectrum allows you to do all over, Right. Um, so basically, like I said, Hey, give me the Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili pin downs on the left side. When so-and-so's on the floor, I could do that for the games that they played against us over the last three years, even because we had archives, but I couldn't do what, what they did against the Bucks or against the Celtics. Now I can do that because it's second spectrum. So to your point, Mo, I'm pretty sure now the requests are, yeah, give me every time he's ever done this. I'd imagine now it's almost like the more granular you get with the information and that everything you can find pretty easily on second spectrum or what have you. I'd almost think that of getting players that have basketball, extremely high basketball IQ that can improv become more valuable. I mean, I don't know if we have time for this, but um, I wanted to bring in Abstract Shine here. Our resident historian. Because we have LeBron James and Stephen Curry going at it for a one-game playoff. And I just wanted to know uh, from Abstract Shine, if Don Shampoo would ever be okay with a play-in game in his day. Oh, way. I don't think anything about the game should ever be changed. Like, it ruins the purity of the game like the three-point line, all this stuff. It's like, keep it the way it used to be, in my opinion. And that's how Don feels. Hold on. You can't say everything should be the same. Remember, the key used to be literally like a key. It was mad skinny and just <laughs> a, like a circle at the end. And people could jump from the free throw line. Like you could take a running jump to shoot free throws. You think all that should still be around? I just feel like there was more talent back then. So, yeah, they water it down now for these new guys. Yeah, I noticed uh, LeBron James – um, abstract shine here joining us here to talk about uh the, the nba pre playoff preview here um lebron james said to stephen curry before the game that stephen curry is the mvp of the league did don shampoo ever talk about opponents in that way like what would he say before games to media um ahead of a, a playoff matchup like the the warriors and and the uh, and the lakers have right here nah man one time he was playing his best friend in the finals his best friend that grew up together, right? And he, like, after the game, Don beat him, but he killed him after the game. 
So imagine what he'd do to someone like, because it was like, it was more about competition back then. It wasn't friendly. So he, he wouldn't compliment just a random person, you know? What was his name? What was his best friend's name? Oh, his name? Yeah, yeah, his best friend. From growing up, I mean, they were, they, I remember this story that they, they grew up on the same block. His name was actually, coincidentally, his name was Benjamin Franklin, but he wasn't, obviously not that <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. But we called him Benny Beans. We called him Benny Beans because he loved beans. That was his thing. He loved beans. Uh, abstract shine. Uh, I got a question. LeBron, obviously, you know, he, he sprained his ankle. He missed a good 20-plus games, came back, sat out again. Now he might have tweaked it again. Yeah. Uh, did Don Shampoo ever play with the, through injury? I know he's a tough guy, but did he ever get hurt and did he ever have to play through injury? Oh, yeah. His whole career was injured. He was born with um, his spine. I, this is only audio, but I'm trying to say how to like – it basically like – I don't know how to explain it, but like his spine went up and then right 90 degrees and then up again. So picture that. Like his spine was messed up, but he still – wasn't going to mess him up. Was he short vertebrae or was did he have more vertebrae? I feel like that might be an advantage. <laughs> it wasn't that he was short vertebrae. It was that his mom kind of, his mom had some addiction issues and she fell one time when he, she was pregnant with him. And it kind of just, ugh, it kind of made his spine go in a weird way in there. How did he overcome? So it seems like a pretty serious physical affliction. It was just a different mindset back then. Nowadays, you'd cry about it. You'd probably go on ESPN with Rachel Nichols, be like, yeah, man, I had a lot of troubles. I had to, I had to overcome it. But no, nah, back then, nobody even knew about it till he retired. He didn't even bring it up. There'd be an E60 on him. A hundred percent. An hour of sob stories. Like, get over it. Play. Wait, so you're saying he had the ability to straighten out his spine just by having a mindset? Like, his, his mindset? He didn't straighten it out, no. But he had the ability to accept it which is something that's missing from the game now. Wow. Uh, the, the Denver Nuggets and, and, and the Clippers rested a bunch of guys heading into the, to the last game of the season, playoff positioning, trying to avoid opponents. Uh, did Don Shampoo ever take a game off um, to make sure that he, 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 he positioned himself for a matchup? No way. He wanted to play the best. But, I mean, there was the one time he cloned himself so that he could really play the best, but that didn't work out well because – or this whole beef but besides that he would he wouldn't want to avoid the best competition he'd want to play the best competition what happened what was the beef well i guess he didn't clone himself but there was this alternate universe he went to and there was this guy sean bampoo which was basically like don shampoo <laughs> and he brought him to the universe for a challenge and it was like fun but then sean went on this killing spree and not like don so then don had to take care of him and it got ugly, but man, those finals were crazy. Those finals were crazy. How many seeds should make a playoff? I mean, right now we have 10 seeds in each. I think one. One each, preferably. Be the best in the regular season. What are we rewarding second place, third place? Be the best. Don Shampoo made the postseason every year. What you're saying, there got to be years that he missed the playoffs by virtue of just not having enough teams, yeah? No. What do you mean? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I just assumed that he wasn't. Don't do that, Tom. You don't offend Don Shampoo. <laughs> no, it's true. No, that kind of pissed me off. I'm sorry, but that kind of that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, man. <laughs> if you were around that era, you would know that. 
man. I'm a millennial, so I'm I'm sorry that I wasn't born in 1902 like Don Shampoo. How old is he now? It's hard to describe that, man. Well, you can't put a number on his name, what? Because he hates numbers. He doesn't believe in analytics. I don't want to label it because when you label something, it makes it weaker. Let's just say he played a lot, man, and move on. Let's just do the next question. I'm kind of pissed. Why did Don Shampoo retire? He had to, bro. I'm not getting into it, but there was a big conspiracy. There's a reason you never hear about Don Shampoo, right? Until I came around. Yeah. NBA is trying to cover it up because they want a soft league where, you know, if you if you touch someone, it's a foul. Like, real people know, like, back in the day, you could hurt someone. You could kill people, and it was fine. But they don't want, they don't want the young kids to see that part of the game. They want a watered-down entertainment. And it's not a sport anymore. Are you saying that he hasn't retired? Like, that he, he's still eligible to come back? He was forced to retire. I mean, I can't confirm if he's alive or not, but regardless, he could still put up 50 in the league. Even if he's passed away, he'd be putting up 50. All right. Well, we have to get to the bottom of this. I mean, Mo, can we get a some aspiring intern, video coordinator type to try to get film of D- Don Shampoo and whether he can still play? We got to dig deep, man. I'm kind of worried about their safety if they do. It doesn't sound like we want this. To, uh, the NBA doesn't want this to come out. Like this is going to end up being like the Pelican Brief movie or something where, you know, <laughs> Pelican <laughs> Brief. <laughs> you're going to discover some film and then and now we have our lives. And I'm scared being on the zoom with y'all right now yeah i wouldn't worry about it too much because i've been talking about him and i've been fine adam silver did call me but i'm i said look enough's enough i'm gonna tell these stories is don out there like shep from above the rim right now just in the middle of the night shooting with no ball and like is that <laughs> on a rooftop, on a rooftop. <laughs> is that is that something we got is that can you tell us if that's going on i can't confirm if he's alive or dead he already said that Mo, he already said he can't confirm. And I already said that, and that kind of pissed me off that I have to repeat that. Thank you, Tom, for bringing that up. Um, but he's he's shooting regardless. That's the thing about Don. A lot of players now, they die, and it's like an excuse. Okay, I can't play anymore. Like, nah, you can still play. He's shooting with Sh- Sean Dampu. Oh, God. Hopefully, Sean Dampu never comes back again because that was that was a scary time for humanity. Thank you, Abstract Shine, for joining us. And, and Mo, some great questions with uh, Abstract Shine to go through the history books that no one, the NBA doesn't want you to read about Don Shampoo. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Abstract Shine, for joining us on the uh, playoff preview of the Haber Show. And Mo DeKeel, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any other last questions for Abstract Shine about Don Shampoo, make sure you write it down. Put it in a box and light it on fire because, I mean, the legend is just going to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought you meant, like, make sure you write it down, put it in an envelope, and then mail it to him because Don Shampoo doesn't believe in text messages or <laughs> social media. He doesn't have email. <laughs> nah, it's soft. I mean, I remember that time he had a P.O. box, but we don't want to talk about what happened to that P.O. box. Oh, God. He doesn't want people to know is that his real address. R.I.P. Holy shit, that was a crazy story. I feel bad for those kids. 